When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Realmcast. I am the Mortal Kombat fan, Tim. And with me, as always, is our lore master, Yanni. Welcome, Yanni. Thanks, fan, Tim. Today, we have another lore master with us, King Jared's official historian, history behind the warrior. Welcome. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really, really appreciate it. Happy to have you here. Yeah, we're glad to have you. So, warrior, let me ask you some questions here. First of all, how has Mortal Kombat kind of affected you? Um, I mean, you have your successful YouTube channel, but besides that, in your personal life, how did you kind of get down this path where you're making these amazing videos now? It's it's pretty wild. Um, I never thought that a video game could change so much of my life in such a short amount of time. It was basically growing up, um, I, was, I, I wasn't exposed to video games. My parents were like super, super against it. But I remember one day when I was like, I must have been six or seven years old. So I was pretty young i was watching television and the mortal kombat movie came on i only watched a slight snippet of it because mind you i was very young so i saw the scene of sub-zero freezing that guy after he's like flexing like a crazy guy and oh, yes. blow up. And my parents like nope we aren't watching this but i was like <laughs> mesmerized i was like oh my god this is so cool so it kind of like sparked this uh this interest in the back of my mind of what Mortal Kombat is. And of course, growing up, I was always like super interested with Mortal Kombat, but I didn't have a console growing up. Like, um, I didn't ha- actually have a console until I was uh, 16 or 17. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah, I know. Because my parents were like super against it. Um, fun fact, uh, my father said to me, you're not allowed to get a console whilst you're in school. Oh. So when I went to college at 16, I was like, you should have read the fine print. <laughs> I thought I thought it was bad enough for me not being able to play except on the weekends, but wow, that's a step further with you. <laughs> yeah, so we ended up doing that, and I was like, yeah, you know what, I'm I'm doing this. But beforehand, um, what happened was I went on like a holiday to my cousin's house all the way up in Scotland, and we played a little bit of Mortal Kombat. I wasn't very good. I was just kind of getting to know it, but I was pretty mesmerized by what was going on, the characters and designs, because it was a, it was actually Mortal Kombat Deception, funny enough. Uh, I was playing it. I was getting to know it. And I was like, all oh, these characters look really cool, but I have no idea what I'm doing. So as the years kind of passed by, there was this um, subconscious love for the series that all came to like a spark when Mortal Kombat 9 was released. Because I saw it and I was like, so this is really cool. And they're going back to 2D, which is something, uh, you know, I've been really interested in because I was watching the Mortal Kombat movies, seeing what was going on. And I read up on the lore and I was really interested. So when Mortal Kombat 9 came out, uh, I... <laughs> Uh, I went to my friend and got my friend's mom to buy me the game. So I owned the game (laughs) and I played the game when I was at his. Um, So I didn't really have, I had the game for a while. It's only up until I got a console where I started playing the game, kind of understanding it on a basic level. But then when uh, I kind of was in college, I did play games a lot. But when I went to university, I didn't have any of that. 
but at university i wasn't really happy with the uh, subject i was doing because i was um originally i'm actually a producer i'm a musician that's, that's my background right. i specialized in that field but the problem was that university wasn't teaching me anything that i didn't already know and i was effectively wasting my time and because of this i was stuck in a room all day listening to music listening to pretty insufferable people for the most part so i was just kind of like uh, let me do something with my time and i started to get back into gaming and then i saw this trailer reveal for mortal kombat x and i was like you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll develop a form of interest in this. And as the months passed by, I started to see all these characters and all this gameplay. And I was like, this is so cool. I, I, I want to lead, like, do something with this. And Lord and behold, I, I made my first ever video in a university room with, uh, was it? Let me, let me bring this terrible microphone. I've still got this for my first microphone. It was a C1, yeah, C1 condenser microphone and a Scarlett 2i2 uh, sound card. And I recorded it and basically edited, or uh, what was it, my first video, which was a Scorpion video, all in like the span of one day, <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> like, I've written out an entire script beforehand because I wanted to give it a go. But I taught myself how to edit. And I already used, um, you know, logic to record audio. So I did all of that and people really liked it. And I was like, who knows? I'll release another video. And if people really like it, I'll, I'll keep doing it. And Lord and behold, I did the video on Ferretor. I got a traction in the Kenshi one and the Sub-Zero one. And it just became one after another. And it got to the point where I was looking at what I was doing at university and what I was doing with my content. And I was like, I don't need to be here. I'm, I'm wasting my time by being here. So I, uh, I left university to pursue uh, content creation full time. And wow. it was, uh, it was, it was pretty crazy. Uh, my parents 110% did not have faith in me. Um, <laughs> my earliest, I, I remember my earliest paycheck I earned like, it was 400 pounds or 600 pounds. That was after five months of content creation. So it, was, it wasn't it was a lot of money, mind you, but it was still money all the same. And I was like, there could be a career here. And I, I, I kind of just picked up the ball and kept going forward and wanting to broaden my horizons with touching on games like Tekken and Street Fighter and Soul Calibur. You know, games I kind of, I grew up around, but never really played too much to say, this is what sparked my love for fighting games. It was just, mm. they were there. And they, they always caught my eye. <clears throat> but um, after I left university, I started uh, doing more and more content. And luckily, over the course of time, I, I accumulated 100,000, which was an incredible feat. And then I just I kept going. And then I started making friends in uh, the YouTube community. And of course, um, predominantly these days for me, the fighting game community, because a lot of uh, a lot of the newer the newer upcoming players who kind of existed from X onwards watched my content and, you know, it, it, how, how do I put this? Achieved very big accolades in their career. So by the time I've kind of moved into MK11, there are some faces that do recognize me, which is extremely flattering. And because um, I went to uh, Evo last year, I went to Combo Break last year. Um, so I was able to meet a few of the US fans who watch my content, which I do deeply appreciate. And I really, I, it was a real pleasure being able to meet them in person. It was a very humbling experience. And then from there, 
after kind of traveling to the US as a competitor and competing a little bit in Europe for Mortal Kombat 11, I decided to actually break into commentary. And I've actually been a commentator for the European scene since May. And I've la- I've been very fortunate to land a fair few big jobs. Like um, I was a commentator for Ultimate Fighting Arena last year in November. I think it was September, actually. Mm. Uh, so I was able to travel out to Paris to commentate that. Um, on top of this, uh, I was able to do the Intercontinental Cup finals on two, three different occasions. So I was able to do the Middle East, Europe, and Australia. And then I was invited out to the finals of all of the people that uh, participated in that online cup in, uh, was it DreamHack Sweden, November? So I was able to meet basically all my peers so I was able to meet people like Foxy Grandpa, Wasminator, do basic. A lot of uh, people I grew up watching like play very high level during the period of Mortal Kombat X's existence. And from there, it's just kind of been smooth sales. Of course, right now in the current world and status, like it's not like you can really go out and commentate right now, especially <laughs> online clubs, mind you. Not right now, no. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I've been able to do that, and it's it's been pretty crazy. It's all stemmed from Mortal Kombat, and I I, I just I, I think it's kind of I wouldn't say poetic justice, but I think it's incredible that my parents did everything they could to have me not like be completely consumed by video games and it's my it's effectively my job and my living now. oh i say it's poetic <laughs> justice i'm with you on that <laughs> it's funny how many guests we have come on here who uh have started off with saying yeah the, the game was banned at in my personal life and now look at where i'm at <laughs> it's, it's so crazy it's so crazy to me so what what actually was the first mortal Kombat game you ended up playing so first ever one i I ever touched it was Mortal Kombat Deception. Okay. Deception was the first game I ever played, but again, I didn't really know what I was doing, so I never actually touched a conquest mode. I just like played through all of the extra game modes and tr- tried to get a gist of the combo system because for the most part it was like the first time I touched a fighting game so I was just kind of like mashing my face against the buttons pretty much <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing I was like oh that's really cool but it doesn't make any sense sure let's do it I find it very interesting that you didn't go into conquest mode and yet now you're known as well I'm history behind the warrior which is all about the lore and conquest is synonymous with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's that's the thing. I I wasn't really aware of it when I was younger, and I, when I picked up the game, because I I knew very very little about Mortal Kombat before I touched Deception. I only knew as the game with the two different colored ninjas and there were fatalities <laughs> for the most part. So I I was pretty obscure to it, but when I started playing the game, I was like wow, this is so excessive. I love it. (laughs) So what ended up being your favorite game? Favorite game for sure. It's always going to have a very special place with me. It's definitely going to have to be Mortal Kombat X. X was the birthplace of my channel, my competitive career effectively, Mm -hmm. and what I learned fighting games. That's where all my knowledge of fighting games and where I really started because before that like i almost sound like a complete dolt and sinner to some of the people who are listening to this but i was like oh look at me i'm so sick i can do two button presses into a special move and then i watched fatal weight and watched catch up ex and enhance all these combos and extend everything and i'm like i'm a scrub (laughs) 
<laughs> so I was like, I, I, I want to learn that. I want to learn how to do that. So I ended up just learning your basic bread and butter combos. And of course, like MKX is known for its really, really flashy gameplay. So I, I was learning all of this stuff. Um, and then along the way, I was like, what's all this uh, talk about like tech and all this gameplay? And then you start to learn all these different layers to fighting games like throw teching and, you know, uh, OTGs, setups, Okizeme, Ukemis, and stuff like that. And I was like, there's an entire world to this, and I've I've missed it. So I ended up just like exploring that side, and it all stemmed from literally a chance and me playing MKX. It was it's crazy. It's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. Out of all the games, then who is your favorite character? That's always the really hard question because I get it a lot. And I never really have a proper answer because it always changes. It always That's fair <laughs> enough. Totally understandable in this series. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is as well, um, I'm always kind of learned to be kind of impartial with favoritism because I'm a content creator. <laughs> mm. You know, it's like I, I try to be unison unless it's Sue Howe, then best character, right? What? I, I will purposely rip into that character. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I th- the, the character I always go to play has always been Sub-Zero, but he's never been my favorite character. I think right now, and I think it may also be because of his absence, I have a real soft spot for Takeda. Mm, you know, yeah, yeah. He, kind of, he has all the ingredients for something quite special. It's just ultimately, I, I, I will say, I don't feel he's been utilized in a way that's really good for the potential he does have. Yeah. Because there's, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Totally agree. I think he's probably my favorite character out of MKX, to be honest. Yeah, of all new characters, for sure. I, I like a lot of the new characters, to be fair. There's only a few I don't enjoy. I, I'm not too fond of Devorah. Uh, I've never been too big on her. I I like her design and her idea. I think that's really cool. I mm-hmm. I love the concept of the chitons because they're basically they're basically the xenomorphs from Alien. That's how <laughs> yeah. they kind of function. I think that's really cool. Um, I love Kotal, but he's he's basically like a less cool Shao Kahn yeah. and a more humble version, which really sucks because he loses as much without really earning much. And I'm just kind of like, I want to like you, man. I always think of him as the uh, South American Shao Kahn. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's that's actually really good. Um, Takeda basically takes all my boxes for what I wanted in the character. Cassie, I loved. I really enjoyed Cassie for MKX. I wasn't too fond of, like, to be fair, I, I don't feel like it's Cassie Cage problem, but it's more so like a Duet Sex uh, Machina kind of thing. Or yeah. was it X beats Y type of thing? And I'm just kind of like, it makes sense. Not too keen on it, but it makes sense. Um, I liked what he did with her in X. I'm not too pleased with her characterization in Eleven. I feel like she's been very watered down. Would you not say that's the case with most of the characters, though? It seems like they've tried to stick to a certain sort of stereotype for every single one and then just roll with it for the intros. I'd say, yeah, in a certain way. I I definitely agree with that. I wouldn't say it's watered down down i'd say it's an unnecessary form of generalization yes. of mm-hmm. how people are it's just it's it's very basic because it's kind of like oh look it's scorpion he's he's the angry man that refuses to die <laughs> and uh, there's this like stuff like that and i'm just kind of like there, there's so much more you can do with them like oh yeah cassie despite how she was written in the main story her character naturally has always oozed this 
snarky, smart-ass personality. And it's been, it was the main appeal of her outside of, you know, her gameplay. It, it was one of her defining traits. And then we get her in 11 when she has an interaction with Spawn. And I'm just, and we're just as it. And I'm queen of shit, fuck, mountain, whatever. It's like, what does that mean? What, what are you yeah. trying to say to me? It's like, <laughs> are you swearing for the sake of it? Like, you have more personality than this. Which breaks my heart, because I love the, um, the voice actress, Erica Lindbeck. Like, she's hilarious. Yeah, I think she's great. Like, they just, they didn't really give Cassie anything to do, and I'm just kind of like, I... Uh... In MKX, she felt more like a daughter to me yeah. than she does in Eleven. Yes. Eleven, it's just, like you guys said... Yeah, it's unfortunate for the most part. I hope in whatever future that the series has, because it's still kind of unclear to me now, <laughs> um, they, they kind of get back to the basics in that sense of her character, because they don't, they don't need to add so many layers to her. Sometimes simple is better. And speaking about the future, uh, we have the Aftermath preview. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but I am extremely excited about this. And I've already got my pre-orders in for two different consoles. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I'm looking forward to Aftermath. I- I- I'm intrigued. I- I'm kind of on the fence here with it because I'm really looking forward to the story content of things. But I don't know how the character, the new character, how I feel about new characters. Because I like Fujin. Mm-hmm. Shiva, I don't really mind her being there. Robocop, I can't really say I'm invested in him. <laughs> I don't think he's like terrible. He's like um I, I put it like this in a in a very polite way because I don't hate him. He's just that guest character who's part of the pack for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm not gonna play him. I'm not gonna touch him at all. Because I'm not interested enough in him. He's just there. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, from like what I've read of what they've basically told us is that he's like really keep away like super keep away heavy as well so i'm just kind of like oh great it, it this is another one yeah i'm just kind of like <laughs> this is not the way to win people over with a guest character in that respect because if we've learned anything from like deadshot or Cetrion, god forbid oh you know like that watching keep away gameplay is not exactly enticing like um even as someone who commentates it anytime i have to commentate a cetrion match it's like squeezing blood from a stone it's like <laughs> I, i'm trying to oh ground slam oh look at the boulder oh ground slam yeah, again like don't get me wrong ground slam's pretty cool if you like because of course that's a special move that you can cancel so there's a mix-up to it that's really interesting mm, true, yeah. but the problem is is that no one plays that variation everyone plays force of nature cetrion <laughs> where it's rising geyser boulder that's uh was it because the boulder by itself if it hits you and you don't flawless block it it jails into geyser so you have to hold it so i'm just kind of like this is mm, I, i can only do so much yeah but um i'm looking forward to aftermath might be good Let's talk about Fujin. I mean, how many years has it been since he's been in a Mortal Kombat game? 14. (laughs) Oh, that's a long time. Since Armageddon. Wow. And that's that's not even including the fact that he was meant, uh, he technically did, but was meant to replace Raiden. Yeah. With Raiden returning anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Poor Fujin. He he got he got it pretty bad. It's like I'm now uh what is it? Protector of Earthrealm and he does we don't even get like an in-between segment, it just cuts <laughs> to Deadly Alliance and he's just <laughs> gone out of there. 
I will not fail you, Raiden. <laughs> Disappears. <laughs> we have a lot of listeners who probably don't know who Fujin is just because it's been so long. I think mm-hmm. that since we have history behind the warrior on here, we should let him uh, kick us off and I'll jump in. All right, yeah, no, let's, let's jump in uh, right out the gate. It's funny enough because I've actually recorded the history of video for him, so it's all quite fresh in my mind. <laughs> so Fujin, for the most part, he was one of he's quite an irregular character in that respect. Unlike a majority of characters who derive from the main installments, Fujin does come from Mortal Kombat Mythology Sub-Zero, which served as a preceding game to Mortal Kombat 4. And in this game, one of the main objectives was to, I believe it was after obtaining the Scroll of Elements and finding the temple, you had to go and obtain Shinnok's Amulet. But by doing so, you'd have to fight four different elemental guardians. Uh, I'm pretty sure off the top of my head, it was fire, water, earth, and wind. I could be wrong about that. That is correct. But wind was obviously definitely one of them, and that was Fujin. And many of I think many people right out the gate didn't really think much of him because he he did presumably die at the end of that fight. But to his own yeah, I know. the irony. It's, it's it's he harakiried himself before it was even a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize he was in mythologies. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, no, he he was he was there. That's why he made his like his first appearance. Mythologies was meant to sort of lead into Mortal Kombat mm-hmm. 4 with new characters. So Fujin, Quan Chi, uh, Shinnok, and then even Serena, who actually got dropped from Mortal Kombat 4 before release. Yeah, she didn't become playable up again up until Armageddon. Oh no, no, she was okay. I do agree with you. That is technically true. Oh wait, was she in the Unchained? She wasn't Unchained, which I don't even count. Ah. that's fair fair. but um yeah no uh after that he kind of died for a little bit but recovered from his wounds in heaven as far as i'm aware and then resurfaced in mortal kombat 4 where shinnok had planned his massive assault across the realms started invading everything including uh heaven so knocked him back down he had to work with raiden and Liu kang and together they defeated um you know <clears throat> the fallen elder god shinnok and from there he became Earthrom's protector for about five minutes before getting <laughs> thrown in the blender and then raiden stepped in and then he disappeared again for two more games coming back in armageddon where he was kind of given the job of fixing corrupted raiden but we never really see much from it due to the time constraints and funding of how Armageddon was. Because obviously, like, big roster doesn't mean you can kind of get to everyone in that sense. True. So even from there, he makes a very small appearance in the conquest mode of the game, where he's in fact a family friend of uh, Argus, and he tries to consult with uh, Taven uh, and Dagon. Of course, he meets Taven because Taven is the main character, tries to stop him in his quest to, you know, kind of hash things out, fix things. But Taven isn't having any of it. He's actually realized that Taven's quest has gone uh, dark. Yeah, it's gone horribly. He's trying to explain things to him and to stop him from progressing with things. Yeah. But he gets defeated by Taven. You know, that one track, Denny and mine, man. But yeah, of course that fails, which brings us up to the end of the original timeline with the Battle of Armageddon and presumably everyone dying. And then we have the rebooted timeline where Fujin doesn't... He exists there to a lesser effect, of course, making a very small cameo in Mortal Kombat X during Shinnok's invasion once more. He then serves a very minor role in the MKX comic book series, which brings us up to where we are now with Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath. So we we are basically... It looks like he's going to have a front and center role. So hopefully we can see more going on with him instead of him being the um, 
Diet Raiden. I was really surprised that they didn't actually make him a DLC for MKX. I think everybody kind of expected that when they saw him in story mode, that eventually he would come out as part of one of those packages. But Mm. I think fans are extremely excited to see him coming out with 11 now. Oh, definitely. Definitely. He looks exceptional. You've even got players who never cared for Fujin saying, oh, you're all just going with the flow. And now they're suddenly into <laughs> Fujin. And you know, everybody has realized Fujin is awesome. <laughs> I think he looks amazing. And looks great. from what I've seen of his gameplay, I'm extremely excited to play him. Yeah, no, that's very flashy. Very flashy. What does it seem that he's going to have with this new gameplay? I mean, of course, the wind abilities are going to be there. But um, have you guys seen anything else? that we're expecting or hoping for <laughs> well from what i'm aware because of, of course we haven't seen really too too much that uh, he does utilize uh, a sword now instead of his bow staff which i found quite interesting uh, he seemingly has that and uh, a crossbow on his hip which i i didn't realize mm-hmm. to like i didn't see it properly till the other day where someone sent me a recently rendered picture of him and I saw it on his hip. I was like, oh, there it is. Because you do see a little bit of it in his fatal blow. But uh, I'm intrigued to see how he plays. Um, honestly, judging by his animations and seeing how they kind of work and function, I think he's going to share some similar uh, similarities to Kenshi. Of how yes. he's used, like, utilizing the sword and throwing it forward and manipulating it with the wind. I, I want to see how that kind of works. It looks really interesting. Do you remember Kenshi's um, MK9 X-Ray? Ah, uh, yes. That's exactly what it reminds me of. <clears throat> this, all of his sword moves specifically remind me of that. Yeah, yeah. Because, of course, he's got the rising karma. He's got uh, what we saw with... I think there's like two still images of him. One where it looks like he's performing a grab. And another one where... Um, the one he's blasting away, Shang Tsung? Yeah, it look, looks like Kenshi's uh, force push. Yes, so, it does look very similar. Mm-hmm. So I am interested to see how he works here. I, I just want to see how he plays, honestly, because he looks very fluid. Mm-hmm. And I'm all about that crazy anime character life where everything looks so ridiculous. <laughs> it's insane. But I, I'm looking forward to seeing how Fujin plays. I think it could be... It looks like we're getting that with him. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Really, really am. I'm, I am curious to see how they'll utilize the crossbow. Now, you did mention the bow staff, and I'm, I'm a bit surprised that everybody is mentioning the bow staff because he's technically never actually used it. He's only received mm-hmm. it from Raiden. Yeah. Whereas in Armageddon, he actually used a sword. Yeah, no, that is true. I, did he use one in MKX? In the very brief cutscene he was in? Possibly. That could be why. Yeah, because I think that's the reason why, because it's kind of fresh in everyone's memory. I could be wrong about that. You might be right. Yeah, that could be it. That would make a lot of sense, actually. Mm. But uh, yeah, that's what I think uh, it's all kind of stemmed from. Uh, I think I'm trying to go over it in my head, and I do. Fi- I know he's wielding a weapon in it. I'm not sure what it is. That's the hazy part. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with him. Hopefully... Even if he doesn't have like a bow staff in his main move, it may be a type of like a Robin Injustice 2 type of thing where they have it as like a custom move or like with um, a scorpion when he has his sword stance. Yes, you could be right, actually. And and you're right. I While we're talking, I did check. He did have a staff on his ah, back. There we go. Yeah, that's why it's that fresh in everyone's mind. Yes. But yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm excited to see he's got his ponytail back. <laughs> <laughs> and and not only that, it's actually done in a way which it, it looks like a tornado. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I didn't it's not braided. <laughs> <laughs> now, they have confirmed that Raiden and Fujin are brothers. 
Oh, so they are adding that in now as an actual thing. They have, yeah. Until now, that was only said in the Mortal Kombat 4 strategy guide. It Mm. was never actually addressed in-game. So that's pretty interesting. That is is. interesting. I wonder how that really works amongst the gods. Are they, like... Right? Are they just (laughs) relatives as in, like, creation only? Because, of course, like, uh, Ermac and Melina technically aren't bound by blood but they are considered children and yes of shao Kahn in that sense i want to see how that turns out it's actually quite an interesting point the way i think about it is that if you look at chronica with cetrion and shinnok i feel like if they are considered her children as well as siblings it could just be that as a titan she's created them and that's why they're siblings yeah, it would make sense because obviously uh, the Titans are precursors effectively to the Elder Gods. But I, I want to see how that all that goes because it-, it interests me. Like the whole concept of Titans really does interest me. I do think like they kind of faltered not expanding on them in this game because there's a lot of potential. A lot of potential of Titans. I wonder if we're going to get a uh, a Titan parent for Fujin Raiden now. That would be pretty cool. That would be interesting, yeah. <laughs> that would be really cool. I mean, I'm not a fan of the Titans at all, to be honest. I actually think that they have, it, as a result of even being created for this game, have retconned so much of the existing lore. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, if true. they can explain things, then I'm curious to see how, which direction they would take it in. Because the only reason like, I like the Titans, or the idea of the Titans, is the fact that we've had Elder Gods for 25 years, and the most they've ever done is nothing (laughs) so i'm just kind of like the first time we get like a proper elder god that's playable in the game she gets beaten up in the first fight by jackie with power crown and i'm just kind (laughs) of like and i'm supposed to hold you guys at a high esteem so to me i'm just kind of like they haven't really done anything for so long i want something that does something you know Yes. Like to be fair, it's kind of unfair for me to say that with Cetrion because my god, I love Cetrion, but why was she the way she was in the story? It's still so much <laughs> like if you just They um... had to big up Jackie, right? Not oh. uh, not Cetrion. Oh. Sorry, every, every time like, Jackie comes up, I kind of hate on her. I'm sorry. It's just a oh, thing. Don't worry. I think we all hate on, you know, that Cassie and her plus one friend that made it into the party. <laughs> you know, you know, I was actually like you mentioned earlier. I was actually a fan of Cassie in a way. Like, I do not like the special forces at all. I think that they are dragging the story down. Mm-hmm. And I was, I still liked Cassie. Yeah, but Jackie just felt like, as you just said, plus one and Jack's two point Yeah. Uh, Jackie hasn't done enough to come out of her shell for me to even really consider her a character. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't me, guys. He said it. <laughs> She's just Jax's daughter. And I feel like that's in name alone. Her name just gets her in. Like, we know she's a kickboxer. Cool. What has she done? Well, she's also Takeda's girlfriend. <laughs> just. <laughs> oh, so... Beyonce. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I... so who do we care more about? Jackie, who's done nothing, or Takeda and Kenshi, who have an amazing plot with the Red Dragon? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> it's, just, it, it's hard for me to get behind a character and enjoy what they're all about when they're giving me nothing to really like about them in that sense you know? exactly and it's weird because they're still forcing her and yet we still feel this way yeah and it's not like jackie has like a a vibrant quick-witted personality to get behind <laughs> like, it's just kind of like 
I punch and I kick and I have really obnoxious variations in this game. Like me, please. And intros and outros. Yeah, I mean... In regards to being obnoxious. Yeah, uh, it's, it's hard for me to want to like her because it, it's... She... She does have the pedigree, I suppose, but pedigree doesn't equal success. I agree. And to everybody listening, that was our Hit on Jackie segment for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Now then, back to the good characters. (laughs) So we're getting Shiva. Mm -hmm. And is this a new role of her being Sindel's guardian, or is that something that was introduced in uh, one of the previous games, Mortal Kombat 9 or X, perhaps, I think it was? I think it's existed in older games. My, my yes. history of Shiva is kind of sketchy at the moment. Because to be honest, I, I've i never been invested enough in Shiva to retain any information about the character, I'd say. No, fair enough. I don't blame you. <laughs> she she has always been Sindel's personal protector. No, because I've always kind of... I've never minded Shiva. I've never been too invested in her as a character. I like that... the position that she earned through the comics i think that's really cool at least they've given her something to do instead of you know being rendered to cabal effectively <laughs> no offense cabal i love you man but god <laughs> we, we all love cabal but that's not cabal in 11 in my opinion <laughs> it's uh, it's something it's something i don't know Cabal's a very strange one but um I, I like what that they've done something with shiva um i can't say i'm too invested in her personally but i i'm glad that at least doing something with a character that i feel many have felt hasn't been represented in the correct light for a long time because she's always been kind of an antagonist you know and, and yeah. i suppose a jobber in that respect so at least she's in a position now where we can see a little bit more of her and see what she's all about. And we've never had a Shokan in this type of role before, which I think is really neat. That is true, yeah. I like what they did with her in the story mode for Mortal Kombat 11, but I'm more interested in Aftermath to see what her role is with Sindel and see if they kind of backtrack on any of the recent retcons that they've made with Sindel. Or enforce. Yeah, either way. Or reinforce. Yeah, Yeah. because now both those characters are going to be canon rather than just guest characters. Yeah, I'm I'm still, I'm intrigued to see the dynamic of Sindel and Shiva, especially with, you know, the whole Sindel stuff, because that that is like, that stuff pretty much was a (laughs) boiling volcano, because of course we had like the somewhat leaks and stuff like that. And I knew about it really early on, and I was kind of like... I need to see this to believe it, and God forbid I did see it. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, don't get me wrong. I love the way how Sindel looks and plays in this game. I think. Oh, I agree. I think she's incredible. Oh yeah. She's, I think they've done an amazing job with her, which is a shame when we then take into account her law counterpart, because of course this is throwing away a lot of pre-established, you know, canon. Which is a shame. Yes. So I want to see how they've, if they've been able to change all of that, because you must keep in mind as well that we've had a few months since her release. And of course, all we have uh, actors coming in to do mocap, facial capture, and do all their voice lines, because the people that do the facial capture also aren't the same as the voice actors. So they're always separate people. So I don't know if NRS have been able to do anything about it. I hope they have been able to for the sake of, you know, longtime fans or at least people who are familiar or acknowledge the character. Because I, I can't say I'm a big Sindel fan personally, but I've always enjoyed her inclusions, you know? 
we, you did mention the whole thing about Shiva being queen and everything, and that's great. I'm happy to see her in this position. But one thing that does worry me is this newfound importance that they're placing upon her being the first queen. Yeah. Because this was never really a point that was, well, necessary until now. Shiva has always been respected as a warrior within the Shokans. Yeah. And to me, I've I've never really... This might be slightly a little bit on the nose. Well, I say slightly bit on the nose. I've always considered the Shokan a very, very simple somewhat brute force race that mm-hmm. kind of respects more power than they do brains so i feel like in that sense they sh- honestly they shouldn't really care about it exactly i mean to get the title of queen of the shokan she literally had to run through a gauntlet beating the piss out of people in her way so to <laughs> me i'm just kind of like does it does this really matter she beat exactly. people to get there to me it's just i don't know man it, it i i've seen it and i'm just kind of like there's no re- reason for this being here. There's no point. Yeah, it feels like they're sort of stealing a, a bit from Kintaro. Now, for for the listeners who don't know, uh, the Shokan seem to discriminate against the Tigrar Shokans. Mm-hmm. If I'm correct, is that correct? Yeah, warrior. Yeah. So, I I could like I understand that because it well, firstly, it's been in it's been the case since what Mortal Kombat three, mm-hmm. but it seems like they're just dragging this sort of part of the lore and fitting it to Shiva to be politically correct. And that's unnecessary at this point in time. Shiva is a character that, while I myself do not care for, there are many who do love her. And she has always been considered, as we just said, a powerful warrior in the Shokans, especially by Shao Kahn. Yeah. And she's always been the main Shokan that's playable. So, I mean, that kind of holds a special place for most players because it's their first time to be able to play a four-armed character in these games rather than Ooh. having to fight them. Yeah, no. I'm... Although we did have Goro and X, but yes, you are right. Yeah, no, that's true. I just I want to see what they do with it. I understand there's, there's a lot of uh, political touching for Mortal Kombat 11, which is a shame for the most box. I, I, for me personally, I want those things separate. I, I don't like politics touching my video games. So I, I hope <laughs> yep. that it's not heavy-handed stuff. I really, really hope it's not the case because I, I still am going to like Shiva regardless of whatever stuff they do. It's just, please don't be up in my face. Please don't be like... <laughs> yeah, it's just it's one of those things, man. It's one of those things. Yeah. So, War, you have a great video that you just dropped kind of breaking down a full analysis of the uh, Aftermath trailer. Oh, thank you. I mean, not to step on that at all, but we should jump into a little bit and kind of discuss... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, everything we've seen so far, which isn't a whole lot but it's enough to definitely get everybody excited <laughs> yeah we've been able to kind of like piece bits and bobs of the story together we're not entirely too sure right now how mm-hmm. things are gonna turn out but with th- th- there's enough to work with that we have an idea of what's gonna happen and what's not gonna happen like we know that I, I fight, i've always say we know we don't really know it's implied that apparently sindel's perished between x to, uh, to 11 not too sure as to how she died if she was a revenant but exactly um, 
we obviously see her revitalization in the Soul Chamber and uh, in the trailer itself. Yeah. This, of course, with Shiva. So Shiva joins the crew at some point in time. Um, but what I'm honestly extremely interested in is the kind of whole dynamic of the team that's going on here. It's like a... It's like a Suicide Squad type yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's a bunch exactly. of characters you wouldn't expect to ever get put together. I've been put together to do a job that could pretty much lead to their downfall. And I, I love the dynamic as well, that it's Fujin and Shang Tsung basically leading the charge. And the idea of being able to propel Fujin into the, uh, this position really good for the character and i'm i'm so happy that we get to have Kari Tagawa as shang Tsung again oh yes like in the main <laughs> role like it's it's incredible to me i love how far we've come away with like being able to do mocap and face capture it's so cool to me man it really is the new story seems like a heist movie also yeah they got a mission it's we're going back in time stealing the crown this is the team mm-hmm. it's the conflicting personalities that i feel are really going to help flesh out the story Mm-hmm. And judging by the voice acting so far, I think that, I mean, that sounds like it's going to be amazing just based on that, because Fujin sounds wow, firstly, and then Kari Tagawa has done a great job with Shang Tsung, as we've already heard. Mm. And I mean, all the characters coming together, it's going to be pretty awesome, I think. I just really hope the direction they take is one that is fitting. I'll say it, because uh, I know some people will probably not like it. I- I'd like to see Shang Tsung get a W here at the end of the story. I, I'd love him to get yeah. the crown and I'd love him to kind of twist history in his own perspective. I feel like that'd be really cool. Oh, I'd love that. I'm sure at some point he's going to stab everybody in the back and oh, yeah. get his hands on it. <laughs> it's in his nature. You say that though, but he's the only one who's technically, well, literally been stabbed in the back so far from what we've seen in the trailers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Like that. Everyone's kind of a wild card in that respect. There's so many things on the table here that could lead to something quite special. So I, I, I'm very happy. I'm very happy that we're getting a continuation to the story because um, I've said it before. Um, I'm not sure if you guys agree with it or people uh, viewing this well. I kind of felt like the ending of Eleven was very unfulfilling. It was very mm, yes. open-ended. And I, I know like um, some people are okay with it, but it was so ambiguous that i was kind of like i i wanted more and i didn't get it oh for sure mortal kombat to me has always ended in such a way where you could speculate as to the future whereas with 11 there was no possible speculation all you could say was well time has been rebooted it's up to nrs with what they choose to do Mm -hmm. but now at least it has the possibility of ending in a way where we could predict future i think we're going to end up getting the same ending but it's going to be this is like a side story leading up to that final point where Liu Kang oh, restarts I everything. hope you're wrong oh, I hope you're wrong <laughs> seeing Shang get a win would be awesome because he's a fairly old individual now if he was able to get like this big win as his character one last time you know I thought it'd be really really cool for him but definitely I, I want to see what the future has we might actually see a, a fight between um, Crown Shang versus God Liu Kang that'd be awesome that would be pretty awesome yeah I'm really looking forward to it, man. Uh, there's just so many possibilities on the table now. And that honestly, that's what I feel really happy about because I felt so deprived of things to say at the end of Mortal Kombat 11. And now this trailer's come out and it's given me so much information. I'm like riding this, like this high of what can happen. <laughs> <laughs> 
It, it's, it's cool to see Shang Tsung as, I mean, we're talking about him getting the win, and we're assuming he's the villain. Now, yes, obviously, it's Shang Tsung. He's always going to be the snake. But it's cool to see him in a sort of hero role. Yeah. yeah. It, it's like a, it's like we said earlier, of the whole Suicide Squad type of thing. It's like, you know, it, it, it's a... These are all kind of characters who've had a reputation for being rather twisted individuals. So seeing them all work and cooperate for the greater good is what ultimately is interesting. And I'm glad they're also not keeping it constrained to only those characters. Like we've seen already, like through their story mode previews, Baraka and Aaron Black getting involved. Mm -hmm. And so it's not going to be like it's separate story that doesn't touch on the other characters. We've seen Katana in there. Um, no Molina, but <laughs> well, man, you've just made the entirety of Twitter upset. <laughs> <laughs> Molina confirmed. <laughs> oh, God bless. Right now, from what we've seen of the aftermath story, we have this Suicide Squad going either back in time or to the same time or something—a time in which apparently Kitana is Khan. Mm-hmm. How does this happen if technically time has actually stopped? when it's been erased right exactly yeah yeah so i remember what i said earlier about time travel not really making sense but being able to wield invent. <laughs> unfortunately like at this because i was thinking about it and i'm like this technically shouldn't be happening so the way how i've tried to decipher it and kind of make sense of it is is that they've kind of altered how they've established their time travel. So time travel, we can see it as one cohesive singular line up until Mortal Co- up until the end of Armageddon. With that, it goes all the way back uh, in MK9. It goes all the way back to the very beginning. But of course, mm. as things go, it splinters and it butterflies. So because of that, you could always see as the inclusion of new characters a fragment of the butterfly effect of what happened. Oh yeah, so now we're up to a point in Mortal Kombat 11 where you know Liu Kang's keeper of the hourglass and time has basically been erased. So that entire timeline's now gone. At least that's what it says on on paper. I think the hourglass itself, since we see Liu Kang use it, is what is the conduit for where time exists. Mm. So by him sending them back in time, it restores that part of the timeline. But considering the amount, the time gap, because of course we do see them refer to Katana as Khan, that we must be at a point in time that's somewhat parallel to that of the current timeline, mm-hmm. possibly due to its own splintered effects that exist. Maybe it's going off in its own direction. Because, of course, we do see, um, you know, present time Jax, uh, Cetrion fighting Shang Tsung and uh, Fujin on the island where, was it, MK9 Jax and Jackie were to pick up the uh, helmet of Kronika. So I believe that this is a parallel timeline to that. And that's going to kind of splinter in and work with it. Because remember as well, gods aren't affected by time travel. So Kronika should technically still be alive as well as Cetrion. At least that would be in the other, like a parallel timeline to that of the current one. Because they mm. would be dead still. So we're getting a sort of Avengers Endgame sort of yeah, playthrough. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, like I said, just time travel doesn't really make sense. you got to really kind of mess about with other influences from sources of media to make to you know try and make something of it but mm-hmm. it, it's ultimately going to come down to how 
it's going to all pan out. I don't really know how it's going to work because time travel has never made sense ever. <laughs> it it always changes. It can only be good from time to time. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that this is something quite special and a, a, like a an interesting conclusion or cliffhanger to what will lead up to maybe the next game of DLC. It'll be interesting to see, too, if Kronika recognizes the fact that she's been beaten and all these people that she has locked up are all of a sudden showing up. Exactly. It mm, some really yeah. interesting stuff. Yeah, it's an interesting way to look at it. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll see what, what it is when we get it, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's the, it's the main, like, my main motivation to keep playing MK11 is to play Aftermath story. Like, that, that's the big selling point for me. Like, I love Fujin, but you know, the story to me is what's ultimately selling me on it. That's always been me with Mortal Kombat anyway. It's always been the story. <clears throat> Although I must say, Fujin's gameplay, I am ready. <laughs> it does look fun. Certain fans have been asking for this for a while. I I myself have not cared too much, but we do have Nightwolf and Eren finally getting that fight that people have been asking for. I am intrigued to see how that one all turns out. Like, we, we got that really cool snippet of the tomahawk splitting the bullet in half. Yes. <laughs> so, I, I, I want to see what they're going to do with this and how they're going to do it. Like, this is one of my favorite aspects. And I mean, mad props to NRS for doing it. But not only giving us extra story DLC, but giving the DLC characters their own story, essentially. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. Very that, happy to see that. It's one of the really sad things. Like, I feel like all of us were really hoping for it when we saw Combat Pack 2 for MKX, when Quan Chi and Omak are walking in the forest and they get attacked by Leatherface. And all of us were like, oh, is this more story stuff and blah, blah, blah. And now we're actually getting it. So I think this is really neat. I think this is a really good way of keeping people in and giving the characters that everyone have been waiting for that limelight that they didn't get in the base game. I think that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. it's like Tremor and Tanya would have... Re- well, Tanya was in the story, to be fair, but mm-hmm. uh, Tremor and Triborg, for example, would have really benefited from it in Mortal Kombat X. Yeah, absolutely. So it's good to see happening here. And as we've said already, we can find out whether or not they're actually continuing with the retcon on Sindel or retconning the retcon itself. Yeah, mm-hmm. this gives them some sort of canon for all these guest characters that we're getting, special characters. Yeah, it's going to be really good. Uh, I'm, I'm actually hoping the guest characters are not included within the story. Oh, you don't want to see Robocop? <laughs> <laughs> I thought we agreed on was it previous episode with the fourth snake that it was Rambocop. <laughs> now, I, we joked about that, but there are a lot of supposed rumors and leaks right now that we might actually get Rambo and if we do I'm going to feel really dumb for making fun of that rumor so much oh, yeah. I, I don't I don't want to say I'd prefer Jackie but I prefer Jackie actually you know what I, t- I, I take uh, it's difficult it's oh I feel like that choosing between a giant burning car or a giant burning truck. <laughs> like, both are on fire. It's not really good. You still like you can drive them. <laughs> You've got to make the best of a terrible situation. And it's like, which way do you want to go out in style? <laughs> I, I actually have another theory too. So we know that we are going to be getting Fujin and Shang Tsung and that they were locked up by Kronika, but now that she's dead they've been freed i think we might be able to see dark raiden show up too oh i hope you're right that would be cool yeah i'm i'm a huge dark raiden fan so to see him show back up and 
even just a small cameo <laughs> and he's like you guys do what you want i'm out <laughs> i mean but, you're right i didn't think about it from this perspective but if he is part of Liu kang now then technically he could still exist in the in the the sort of multiple timeline mm -hmm. uh problem that we've had right because the the entire point was that everybody had sort of two selves but the gods could not have more than one of themselves mm -hmm. but if raiden is part of Liu, then firstly does that allow Liu kang to exist in this new timeline and then secondly does that mean dark raiden comes up yeah it's really weird because it seems like they're throwing off like a paradox parallel timeline sort of thing is it really weird it's because like um time travel is a very very strange thing especially when you write it down on paper and because it does you know it's a bit of fiction you can kind of bend and weave it as you wish but it's hard to kind of keep it up consistently and I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It's, it gets very confusing. It gets very, very confusing if you actually try to think about it properly. I'm just kind of like, I'm just going to go over the story and just see how this works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do you guys think Fujin will end up replacing Raiden in future games, kind of how the original plan was? Or is this a one shot for the character? I, I genuinely hope so. I feel like yeah. this could be a really good way of propelling the character to the position he should have been in the original timeline. Mm -hmm. And this can, this can essentially help pave way to new stories. You know, because like, I like the original timeline, but the thing is, to me, a lot of those ideas have either been cooked and have been done. And if I mm -hmm. want them, if I want to see them again, I'll either one play the original game for it, or two want to see an completely different, reimagined interpretation of it. Because I feel like that is refreshing and it's new. Because no one ever wants to watch a rebooted film scene for scene, step for step. Because <laughs> that it's just it's nothing. It doesn't add anything to the conversation. You know. I want something that's yeah. interesting. I mean, I, I also hope that Fujin takes over, but I'm worried that considering Liu Kang's sort of new god role, he might be the one to actually replace Raiden instead, as we all assumed at the end of MK11. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. curious to see how that works. But also, one thing that we have had on Fujin since, well, before Aftermath was revealed, was that uh, Frost and Cetrion had apparently frozen and or killed him. Yeah. Now, what worries me is that it's not that they're talking about Fujin in the past, but that these introductions were actually alluding to aftermath oh interesting so that fujin possibly dies in the story yeah no it's, it's definitely a possibility but we also must take one huge factor into account and as all long time mortal kombat fans i'm pretty sure we kind of get this dying is just a flesh wound <laughs> it's a flesh wound. So true. it's like you know that the <laughs> meme of literally like that uh, tank that's leaking water and you get that guy and he just slaps like the band-aid on it that's literally death <laughs> in the Mortal Kombat universe. Just stuck a band-aid on it. You're fine. Rocker died in X and he came back at 11 like that. So I'm just kind of like, it's fine. He'll be back. Which I always love seeing used as an as an argument for why Melina doesn't return. But I'm not, I'm not one of those people who thinks like, give me Melina, give me Melina. No, I'm not. But what I do like is logic. And if people are saying, well, Melina's dead, so she can't return, get over it. Baraka was dead too, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Mortal Kombat. Everybody dies. I feel like we just aren't going to get Melina for this game because I, I feel like if you want to play all three female ninjas in the last like uh, Mortal Kombat game, just play MK9. Mm, you know, yeah. Since X, what was it? We had two female ninjas. 
And then here we have two female ninjas as well, three if we're including Scarlet, but she's kind of her own thing in that respect. If you want to play it, just play MK9. Like, trust me, that that's the best way if you want. If you want the best of everything, just play that one. It's a good game. Yeah, it's broken as hell. It's Need, fun. Really <laughs> needs to be remastered, just just so we can have it on latest platforms. Actually, yeah, I, I'd love to have it be remastered and rebalanced. Cause dear God, oh, is yeah, that game definitely. broken. Cyrax, Cabal. <laughs> Cyrax, Cabal, Johnny, Sonya, oh my god. It's actually no longer available for purchase on Steam. Um, yeah. yeah that they, they had to pull it because of Freddy Krueger rights, I believe. Oh, is that the reason? It uh, went back recently to the Craven estate. So hmm. West Craven basically has it. But what I find really strange about it, with the licensing going back to Craven estate, is that other games like Dead by Daylight haven't been affected, but Mortal Kombat 9 has? It might be mm, more of a... I don't know. Just trying to save anything from happening. <laughs> yeah. It may be like yeah. a... It may have been like a limited time deal, because of course with um, guest characters, they are allowed to use them within a certain particular time frame. It's not like they go to them and then they make the deal with them. Like mm-hmm. they're given the rights for it for a temporary uh, amount of time and they have to use it within that time frame. If not, they either, I presume they have to renew it or it just expires. Which leads into um, the whole really crazy topic with Ash Williams that's been going on for the last yeah. year now. Oh, yes. Which is, uh, it is why it's, I know a lot of people have been saying as well, it's like um, there's been, he was cut from KP1. Is also why there's only the three characters for Aftermath and stuff like that. And even uh, Campbell, I think about a week and a half ago, um, says that he hasn't got a notification from his, um, <clears throat> his manager, his that would uh, let him know what has happened and he said this may be a sort of thing that's uh sort of issue and problem that's going on with licensing which will ultimately determine it so um i think it's definitely one of those things as to why he actually isn't in the game for sure i think it's licensing it brings up a good question too is there going to be a combat pack three and if so will we get more story mode after aftermath i mean how long are they going to keep doing Mortal Kombat 11. That's the interesting thing, because I I honestly, for the God, like, I have no idea how it's going to pan out. Like, I'm all up for more Mortal Kombat. It would be really good. And mm. we're on, like, the brink of next gen as well. So it would kind of make sense for them to keep supporting the game up until, like, you know, next gen is available. But I don't know. It's really odd to me. It's really, really odd to me, because NRS haven't broken out of their two-year annual cycle. Um... I'm I'm yet to see any reason as to why they break the two-year annual cycle because it could very much be a licensing Well, they thing. did say at the reveal that they would like to change that up, actually. Yeah. I do remember, I think, I think it was Ed Boon himself yeah. saying that we've tried to stick to a two-year uh, sort of schedule between both games. However, we want to change things up and try and make this the longest uh, supported game so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's true. I remember him saying that, but uh, we got to take into account as well that they're under management of Warner. And yes. it's, it's ultimately Warner that's going to kind of tell them what they can and they can't do up to a certain extent, how things go. The thing is, like, I can definitely... I'd probably say right now as... Not right now as you speak because of everything going on, but Injustice 3 is pretty much in a pipeline and probably in, like, extremely early development. Mm-hmm. Oh, they've confirmed development on that, I think, actually. There you go. Already. Yeah, if, if it's it's on the yeah. table, then we know they're working on something. Because the thing is, I've uh, what is it? NRS aren't a huge, huge, big dev team. It's a, it's a 
few selected individuals that are all very, very talented. So to have one team work on two different games could effectively like really mess up their plans and their schedules. So I don't really know how it's all going to kind of pan out. I just hope that they they do well for both franchises, but also try to deliver the best of what they can without damaging them. Yes, uh, I'm with you on that. I really do hope they manage to find a happy balance between the two. One thing I did want to bring up, though, regarding Aftermath Mm -hmm. is, honestly, the price. I'm a bit... Because it comes down to the future. As as you just mentioned, we don't know what's happening now. We have... Firstly, Phantom just said that he doesn't know about any Combat Pack 3. Mm -hmm. Now, my first response to that would be, well, are we considering Aftermath Combat Pack 2 in the first place? Because they've not advertised it as such. And does that mean that we're getting combat packs in the future or further expansions if we get anything in the future? And then secondly, how much comes with it? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's interesting in that respect because I do think, I honestly don't think the price tag is too, too bad for the most part because if you put it like this, it's free DLC characters and free skin packs um, with the additional free amount of story. And I think each DLC character is what, like $6 each? I'm pretty sure. Six bucks each, yeah. yeah so that uh, comes out to about 18. If we're going like four with each skin, uh, that's like $12. So that's 30. And then you got the extra free story mode as well. So I, I wouldn't say it's too, too bad. I don't think the pricing of it is too out there. But uh, I, I can see why a lot of people were shocked. Like, um, I, I don't mind it. I feel like if anyone supports or enjoys a game enough, they'll fork out whatever money they wish to like, you know, buy the expansion. Mm-hmm. But um I, I don't think it's too bad. But considering it's like one of my favorite games is like The Witcher 3. I'm a massive fan of that. And I That's my exact example yeah, I was gonna bring up. Like the amount of content that was put in Blood and Wine and Heart of Stone and the amount of hours that was in that was it, to me, it's immaculate and the peak of, you know, what DLC gaming should be. Exactly. Uh, so to, to me, I kind of get I get that answer 110%. 110%. I feel like, I don't feel like the price tag is too bad. Maybe I should elaborate. Uh, okay, so I think that, firstly, I agree with you that it's not too bad for what it is. Mm-hmm. That's, okay, fine. That's completely understandable however the biggest part that gets to me myself as a mortal kombat 11 player Mm -hmm. i i forked out the 100 on the premium edition Mm -hmm. i'm now being expected to go what is it 40 pounds 35 pounds on the it's 35 pounds yeah 35 yeah so aftermath i want to make sure i'm giving proper figures um so that comes to 135 assuming i pre-order and don't wait for uh, a sale because you know I mean it's Mortal Kombat I want to support it it's my favorite series and get those free skins and yeah th- those well free but yeah skins <laughs> uh, I, I would like to say by the way I do like that we're getting free stages free friendships etc yeah, that's great that's, that's nice stuff. to see but what worries me is that as a day one player of Mortal Kombat 11 a long time Mortal Kombat fan for pretty much my entire life I'm spending now 135 compared to new players who can get it for less than half the price. Yeah, mm-hmm. so if I actually decide to go ahead um, and buy it for the Switch, and I can get more Combat 11 with Aftermath for $60 US, and uh, I was oh, like, well, damn. that's a lot cheaper than I'm paying on my other systems, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
but it's definitely a problem with i guess buying a game on release as well because it's definitely not anyone else's fault it's just like a, a massive price drop and it's, yeah. it's why there's always the mentality and the part of the fan base that straight up and understandably so doesn't buy a doesn't buy an NRS game till about a year and a half in where the game of the year editions come out and all the contents there. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's at, it's at a, a far cheaper price than it was in release. So I don't know. It's it's a really weird one because I get that they need money to continue supporting the game and like keep funding it, but. I don't know. It's a, it's a really weird one for me. It's a really, really yeah, weird Yeah, it's a one. difficult topic because I do want to support Mortal Kombat, you know? Like, as I said, it's my favorite series. I mean, we wouldn't be doing this podcast right now if it wasn't, right? I feel like it's measuring your fandom with your wallet. Yes, exactly. Thing, you know, because I, as much as I like um, games, like, for example, I, I've, I've been getting into the series recently and I've been enjoying it. I've been playing the Assassin's Creed games in my free time. And I've been mm. enjoying the base games, but do I like them enough to fork out the extra money to purchase the DLC on top of the original price tag? And that's usually a no in some respects. Like, yeah. you know, I feel like your fandom's measured by your wallet and how much you enjoy it. Like, the, the, unfortunately, there are people who don't really understand the lengths and limits of doing that, which is why, you know, you get amazing trash can fire games like fifa every year but mm. it's just kind of like understanding and appreciating because i don't mind forking out extra money if i know it goes to the developers to help them make the game and add extra content to it so i don't know it's it's a really really weird one to talk about because there's so many things you have to take into consideration on the table oh, for sure. and Definitely. there's a lot of obscure stuff that we unfortunately don't know about and kind of can only kind of predict i mean the way things are going i will probably be forking out that cash <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly surprised i haven't done it yet i'm, I'm just like thinking to myself but the price oh but the game oh but the price oh but the game <laughs> you know <laughs> no i understand that i understand that 110 percent. all right so history behind the warrior where can our listeners find you so you should be able to find me on twitter at hb warrior and if you wish to find out my youtube channel it should be history behind the warriors it's very very easy to get to luckily but uh that's all forms of social media i do have uh i do have an instagram that i never use uh i kind of like lie low for the most part so if you want to follow me there the best way of getting in contact with me is definitely twitter we'll be linking your channels in the actual description of the video thank you for any listeners who want to check that out and uh before we let you go tell us what is your favorite finisher like your favorite fatality or brutality okay so i'm gonna give you guys like two of them one because it's ironically hilarious and one because i genuinely like it um <laughs> I, I feel i feel like this is on everyone's like list of just it's so awful it's funny and that it's always you guys know what i'm gonna say it's the next stretch yeah it is so, <laughs> so it is so dumb it's amazing like the actual mindset to make that is incredible so i'm just kind of like you know what i'm 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 all for this i am all for this but um outside of that probably my favorite fatality at least when it comes to memory and because i saw this and like I, I gagged a little bit 
was Takeda's fatality in MKX, where he shoots the ripcord in your mouth, Ooh. ignites all the uh, like the chains, not the chain, like the blades on the ripcord, and then yanks it out. And the thing is, it's not like a clean pull. He pulls. He has to like yank it out and then yank it out again because <laughs> it's not completely out of it just yet. And I'm just kind of like, that's awesome. That is so good. That's sick. <laughs> that is a great fatality. It's so good. It's so good. I miss Takeda, man. Oh, yeah. oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Takeda for Combat Pack 3. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we'd like to thank all of our listeners for stopping by. And thank you very much, History Behind the Warrior, for joining us on this episode. It was a pleasure to have you on. Really good to have you on with us. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it. It was lovely coming in and having this chat. I hope everyone enjoyed listening to my terrible joke. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, for, yeah, guys, thank you for having me on. I was glad we could have this chat about Mortal Kombat. And uh, yeah, we'll certainly talk again in the future, man. We were glad to have you. Also, special thanks to Uppercut Editions for their continued support. You can find them at Encyclopedia MK on Twitter and the Mortal Kombat Encyclopedia Project on Facebook. Romecast is a bi-weekly podcast. You can find Yanni and myself, Phantom, on the Mortal Kombat group on Facebook, as well as Yanni on Mortal Kombat Meme Realm, which now has an Instagram at Mortal Kombat Meme Realm. You can catch up to all episodes of the podcast on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, and Spotify. You're out of time.